Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I chat with Daniel Kraft from Stronghold Invest, a dynamic property company in Northern Europe with fund management, property management, and prop tech ventures, supporting a massive portfolio across nine countries. Daniel joins me from Stockholm, Sweden, and in this episode, we cover prop tech, whether property companies should become tech companies, when it makes sense for prop codes to set up venture arms, and of course, space as a service and property valuations. Daniel says becoming a tech company could be a dangerous path for prop codes, but setting up a venture arm could be a good strategy. But either way, demand for space as a service is disrupting the value chain in commercial real estate. Unfortunately, Current valuation methodologies are preventing property from evolving to meet customer demand. And within the next five years, asset owners will have to make a choice where they're going to sit in the value chain. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or email podcast at workbold.co. Now get ready for another thought-provoking episode. You might want to share this one with your team. Now let's go meet Daniel and Stronghold. Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Daniel Kraft, partner at Stronghold Invest, the leading property advisory, asset management, fund management, and prop tech company in Northern Europe. The group manages 40 billion euros of commercial real estate and invests more than 1 billion euros in new properties across Northern Europe annually through its wholly owned subsidiaries, NUSEC and NEOM. As a group, they have 1,800 team members across 40 offices in nine countries in major cities like Stockholm, Copenhagen, Helsinki, Oslo, and Luxembourg. Now, NUSEC is their full-service property house, which includes asset management and advisory with 46 million square meters. That's over 495 million square feet across seven countries under their management. And Neom is their private equity firm, the largest in Northern Europe, by the way, that's focused on real estate, with assets under management exceeding three and a half billion euros with a global blue chip investor base. Daniel is also head of Stronghold's PropTech Ventures and sits on the board of numerous portfolio companies. Welcome to the Workable Podcast, Daniel. Thank you, Caleb. Very nice to be here. Well, it's absolutely great to have you. I know, um, you know, Magnus um, is, has been a friend of mine on Twitter, and we met in person here in London a couple of times, and um, it was great for him to, to make this introduction. So I'm really glad you joined the podcast. Um, Daniel, look, Stronghold sounds really impressive. I like that you acquire assets, you actively manage them, and you invest in new tech companies to improve your services. You must have deep insights into what your building user customers want. So can you share some of the examples of data that helps you as a group learn? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, in terms of prop tech and, and technology in real estate, our history goes actually quite quite some time back. So we we started a company called Dacha uh, back in 1998 as a property information system, primarily to the banks in Sweden. So we've really been a part of this using data in a professional way with, with software for the last 20 years. So we transacted that company uh, just before Christmas to RCA, a very nice deal for us. But that's really been making so that we've been working with huge amounts of real estate related data in, on a software level in our business. And that has really furthered our offering primarily on the advisory business, I would say. So they've been working on a data driven basis for quite some time now. And what sort of data um, are, are you collecting that's sort of helping 
you analyze and, and understand what you know what customers want. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, it's it's a combination of, of market data, of course, uh, building performance data, but also, I mean, if you're performing valuations on, if you're the biggest value or appraiser of, of real estate in, in the Nordics, then of course you have a huge data set on which to sort of uh, run benchmarks across different countries and geographies and, and provide that as insight and knowledge to actors wanting to enter the Nordics or at least understand the Nordic markets better. Okay. And when we talk about performance data, are we able to go any more granular on that? <laughs> That's what we're working on now. I think, you know, the IoT side of building data will be a huge addition and asset to understanding how valuable a, real, a property really is. So I think we're only scratching the surface on that, but as we are censoring the, the properties and starting to ingest that data, we will be able to sort of leverage that data, data set across hopefully all the 46 million uh, square meters of, of space that we manage. Absolutely. Well, my friend Dan Hughes over here in London, uh, he was on the podcast in season one, and he talks about there are literally thousands of data points that, that we could consume and, and, and analyze and understand to improve building performance. So it sounds like you guys are on the right path there. I'm excited to see what comes next. So on, on that, speaking of what comes next, on your website, it says you focus on the real estate services of tomorrow. So what are the real estate services of tomorrow? That, that's a really you know good question, but I think that's really what drives the direction we're working for. So we're only working to develop the businesses that we have now. We would become obsolete over time. So I think you know what we did back in the 1998-1999. It's a good example of we can't be afraid to sort of challenge our existing businesses and deliver them in a new way. Um, I mean, that's how we did that because, I mean, the, it started as a, a venture within the appraisal business or advisory business. And then we spun that out and sold that as a service. But I mean, the, the advisor were furious. They would wanted that as an exclusive in-house platform, not to be sold to the entire market because that was their business. So, you know, it wasn't very, you know, a, a, a happy time for within within the company group. But over time, that turn out to be a, a really nice model. So we're trying to replicate that now again. I mean, I th think we will see this in the property management space, uh, meaning that you'll, you'll see operators of space as a service and, and similar companies to that, which is in essence could cannibalize on existing property management business, but it's in essence an extension of that business. And, and if, it, if it's going to be in the same brand or in, under a different brand, that's for us not that important as long as we own the company. Well, there's a couple of things that you said in there. And the, the first thing that pops out to me is, is how you said you're challenging your existing business. I like to call that challenging the status quo. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I think you know we need to be doing that with our own companies and, and within the industry in general for us to move ahead and innovate. The other thing you, you said was how you guys developed this, this data service that you use internally, but then you created it as, as, a, as a product or service to sell to the wider industry. And that reminds me of something that just came out last week. Um, hope you don't mind me talking about maybe another property company, but Edge Technologies. Um, they've recently um, you know, created this, this tech platform, and now they're making it available to the, uh, the industry. Do you think that that should be a standard in, in general? Do you think property companies should become tech companies, and, and whatever they, they invent, they should make it available to the industry? 
Um, I think uh, it's a vain, very dangerous path to pursue if you're a property company wanting to be a tech company because the, the dynamic is really, really different. And I mean, we our learning curve for the last 20 years has been rather steep. I mean, and, and we are a to remind that we're a service company, not a a, a, a um, an asset manager, a property owner in that sense. So we are quite quite used to developing service companies and service businesses. But I mean, the taking the step and, and, and developing an actual software business, that I think is a huge leap, which I think you should be careful of. With that said, I, I really applaud what they've done is spun out the technology that seems to work and see and test the market whether that could scale on its own. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see whether that works, but more often than not, we see those types of initiatives failing. So within the group, you're, you have asset management functionality, uh, and, but then you also are services led. So I, I guess kind of going back to my next question is, you know, through active asset management, you, you help your investor clients achieve higher profits. That's what it says on your website. So I assume this also drives your investment into the, the prop tech companies and the technologies that you want to roll out. Uh, that's going to help you become smarter as a group, more efficient, and ultimately improve customer service. So I'm just curious, how do you leverage your portfolio companies um, on the prop tech side to test and roll out these new services across your, across your portfolio? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. I mean, even though if you have a huge footprint on properties that, like we do, I think making that work on an operational level to, to, to be able to use that platform, to use that footprint is really, really difficult. And that's been the challenge that I've been working on for the last four or five years. Uh, as an example to what actually have worked, we have a one of our portfolio investments is a sort of fintech slash property company called Nordcop which in essence is a treasury SaaS-based treasury management platform. So usually as, as real estate companies pile on uh, quite a lot of debt, but the way that they manage their treasury function, we've noticed is, is still very manual. It's still you know, predominantly an Excel-based exercise where you keep track of your, your debt and swaps and, and, and whatnot. So we started to see that some of our clients started to shift to an, a, a company called Nordcop. And we like, so what is really Nordcop? And we saw that, you know, they actually have, have a fairly nice volume on their platform. And we saw that as more and more customers in the property management business started to use the platform, that was really a, a nice indicator for us that it, it's a, a product that is needed and it works. So we thought that, okay, so let's put some money in, in, and grab a stake in that company and we could most likely help them grow faster, given that we can inject them as a part of our property management process. And that has really been working quite nicely. So now it's a standard tool when we do property management. So that's an example of a company where we saw an interesting uh, segment in the market that sort of it, it delighted the use uh, of, of their customers and it lined up very nicely with our property management business and they were fundraising so we as an owner could support the company and improve uh, the service of our property management business at the same time so we sort of built value on on two separate uh, levels okay so through your prop tech ventures function um you're you're investing in prop tech companies are you also creating new companies from scratch Yes, the entire group has been a startup factory over, over time, not 
always a software startup factory, but I mean, so we've started new brands. I mean, so if you see Newsec was the first company, then Niam, our pri uh, private equity business started back in 1999. If you sort of pull that to, uh, apart, it's Newsec incentive asset management. So mm -hmm. it, it's really been a, a part of our DNA. And I, we see we see a lot of interesting opportunities now for example, in the space as a service segment, whether you could start companies or uh, in the smart building, connected building space, there we see also a really nice opening for a new type of service business that will so, really hopefully launch within the next few months. So, so how does that how does that work in your in your thinking and when you're sitting in the boardrooms or or is it is it is it have does it happen at the at the operational level where you see a repeated problem that you guys have to figure out how to solve and, and there's no products or services on the market that actually solve the problem that you have. So you, you then invest in creating a, a business or a solution to that problem and then you just productize it. How does that work? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, uh, how it usually works is like from the venture side, we see a lot of pitches. So I've met a few hundred companies over the last few years and, and taking IoT as an example. So IoT companies saying, we have this sensor, we have a nice SaaS platform, we can charge by square meter per month per year, and then we could save X amount of percent of energy consumption or whatnot. So we see those type of pitches may, may be interesting, and then we see whether they scale or not. And then we align that with the need in our, our property management business as an example. So what, what is the reason as the solution or service is not scaling if the benefit or the use case seems to be there? That really sort of picks up our attention because sometimes it's a technology problem. Sometimes it's a business model problem. Sometimes it's a company or founder problem. But usually... If you pick that apart, you can put to get, put that together in a new setting. Perhaps if you re replace the technology, it might be a viable business. If you combine the technology with another business model, that might be a viable business. So if we can't find a better alternative in the market and we see you know, a nice potential business case, we can start that, that company ourselves. I see, okay. And deploy across our portfolio, of course. Of course, and it is obviously helpful that you have the portfolio that you can test with. You yeah. sort of gives you an, an advantage over someone just having this idea that maybe they've worked in property and they launch out on their own to, to create this solution. But to do it in-house and be sort of entrepreneurial um, sounds, you know, that's, that's exciting. Yeah, I think, um, you know, having a venture business is one of the most efficient ways of, of doing business development. I mean, if you hear 100 pitches to why your industry is is uh, not very efficient or effective or working the way the, as good as it should then you have you know a, a an idea to develop your business i think it's been very successful for us so you talked about the the history of of the group with NUSEC and then neom and then you know obviously now you've got the, the the venture arm as a group do you have a certain budget percentage that you set aside or what sort of advice would you give other property companies who might want to start a venture arm or do you say don't do it so when when you consider starting a venture arm be very clear to what type of outcome you're expecting because if you're doing it for strategic reasons then you might need to hold back a few on the on the return characteristics of the investment if it's purely for financial gain then it should be organized in a separate way so i think 
depending on your objective, you should structure it accordingly. So for our reason, in the beginning, it was very much for business development purposes. So we didn't set aside a huge uh, capital allocation to venture because we did, you know, um, we wanted to dip our toes in the water to, to new business models. So we made a few smaller tickets to learn. So we've learned over the last few four, four or five years, and now we're sort of expanding, allocating more capital when we see that it matures and grows. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, be careful. I see, see a lot of actors wasting a lot of money with not very good investments. So if you're not really serious about doing that, I think it, you're better off investing in a fund like Fifth Wall, Metaprop, or uh, yeah, you know, there are a bunch of them. Sure. So if I if I can sort of say that back to you in my own words, are are you saying that if if there's a strategic problem that it, that some a company is trying to solve, um, if they make an investment to solve that problem, uh, and they get some equity out of it, then maybe they do it out of out of a capex uh, budget. But if they're actually looking to do a venture company and make money and have returns, then it probably should be done through a fund vehicle. Yes. And I, I think there are a lot, numerous examples. I think JLL has been an example. They made a lot of, you know, in-house direct investments from, from JLL. And then they've sort of noticed, I think, that that model wasn't really scalable. And then they created the Spark, which was mm -hmm. more, it still was branded, but more arm's length. That's which right. I think is a better model to, to, to pursue. Okay. Well, I'm going to um, move us into the topic of space as a service specifically, because obviously this is what our podcast is about. Um, so I'm curious, um, you guys have such a massive portfolio in the Nordics. Um, Pre-COVID, what sort of trends were you seeing across your portfolio from customer usage and demand for space as a service? Um, no, I think the, the, the trend was progressing nicely in that if you focus on the demand side of space, you could really see that bigger and bigger companies were outsourcing more and more of what it takes to run an office, meaning that you would actually want to consume office as a service instead of renting an empty space and then doing a lot of work on top. So I, I think the trend was very clear to us. Uh, and and I think COVID has only accelerated and and expanded on that trend. So then, right now in the current state of the world, uh, are you seeing a return to the office? Are you seeing more demand for space as a service as you talk about it accelerating? What are you seeing right now? I think we, at least in the Nordics, we're seeing people returning to the office. But I think all of, especially still focusing on the demand side a lot of actors and companies are are really questioning so what do we need in terms of office how in what way does off an office really support our business objectives and i think this is really the first time that companies are really starting to ask that question meaning that in the end in the past it's only been so okay so you need an office because you need an office sure. now it's really okay so what is the purpose of having an office what is the benefit? And yep. that, I think, is very clear. And looking ahead into the future, you think that trend is going to continue? You think that the way in which we use offices is going to be different than the way in which we use offices in the past? 
yeah, I think I think people actually now by being forced to use new tools to work remote, I think they sort of can tell so this actually worked quite well. And for a lot of the function, it works all even better to sit remote than in the in a crowded office. So I think COVID has been a, a, a very good experiment, which will only support and drives the need for space as a service. Well, um, I, I tend to agree with you on that. And I think uh, our my listeners know me very well and um, where I stand. Um, but I want to talk about um, the topic of or the theme of the season, and that's um, it's valuations. You know, NewSec, uh, on, you have a whole service dedicated towards valuations and valuing property. Um, it, you have the most RICS certified valuers in Sweden. Vast experience across a diverse range of um, properties and uh, offices, commercial properties, hotels, warehouses, uh, etc. Um, so, how do you expect space as a service to impact valuation? I think this is a, is a topic that hasn't really been dealt with fully. I think, I think the demand side is clear. Yes, they want this, so the trend will increase, and space as a service will take up more of the portfolio with the flexible terms and shorter lease terms. Of course, it, it 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 should. By the same equation, it should, in in essence, impact property values. But I think, on the valuation side, I think a lot of them are still very careful to make any clear assumptions, at any direction. So I think it's still very hesitant to see how this plays out, because as you've mentioned in the past and in, in previous episodes, this may of course impact property values quite significantly um, as properties, office properties in essence become more risky than in the, in the, in the past, or at least the, the return profile gets uh, change. Yeah. I think if we have a crystal ball and look 10 years ahead, the return and investor profile will look massively different than it does today with property. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that the, um, the demand for, property isn't going to go away, but the demand is changing. And, and yeah. the demand in the future, the way we use offices, as you were alluding to earlier, is is going to be massively changed. And the um, But the rules, and this is this is what's, I guess, frustrating for me, um, and, and a lot of the conversations that, that I've had in the industry is that the, the rules are written um, in a way that property cannot evolve to meet demand. Otherwise, it it devalues the property, but if I and I know there's a lot of complications and sophistication around that. But if I put it simply, uh, the customer of today wants a car, um, but property today is a stagecoach, and the owner of the stagecoach says, "I'm sorry, Mr. Customer, I can't give you a car because that'll devalue um, my stagecoach." <laughs> so to me, the rules need to be re rewritten to be able to value cars. And um, that's just in my simple brain how I think about it. I, I I agree, and I think you know if you you know if you look on what's happening, other industries who have undergone a significant shift. This has always been the case. So, a, a core element of the of the business is changing, but the incumbents really sort of try to resist as long as they can. But but given that it's 
it's a fundamental shift on the demand side, in the end, the shift will take place and will happen even quicker due to the fact that the opportunity becomes so obvious for actors not constrained by the existing dynamics of the industry. And I think that the emerging service providers of space as a service, meaning WeWork and the others, really started to pounce on that dynamic in the industry or that opportunity. That it's the demand and supply side is really moving away from each other rather than towards each other. I agree. And um, I, I think that brings me to your other group, your other company in the group, Neom, uh, which is your private equity arm uh, where you're investing and in acquiring um, assets. And you have two different types of funds, opportunistic and core plus funds, uh, or funds that manage uh, those two strategies. And so considering the, the change in dynamics of demand in the direction of space as a service, uh, do you see space as a service becoming a bigger factor when you're analyzing an investment opportunity? Yes, for sure. Of course, I think, and, and what I also would like to widen the concept of space as a service, I mean, generally, I think it's used only in office, but I think the same will apply in, in retail and logistics and, and, and RESI as well over time. So I think that will Im this will impact all asset classes, but I think in the way that we see that it impacts office is that, that it's considered as a riskier bet than having been in the past. So um, I think they are even they are even more careful in selecting assets uh, that are offices in the Neon funds, given that they are opportunistic. So they are really high return funds. So, uh, so, so just, sorry, can I just dive into that um, sure. a little bit? So in the opportunistic fund that's driving the higher returns, are you saying that the office allocation of investment uh, in that fund you're looking for opportunities that have space as a service already because that can generate the higher return or am I misunderstanding you? Yeah, so I slight mis misunderstanding. I think what I'm hearing is that they are seeing space as a service as, some, as a sort of uncertainty, meaning that it's a risk factor in when you're making an, an acquisition in, in, in office property. So they're seeing office as slightly more risky than have than it has been in the past. So, oh, okay. yeah. And and the, I think that they're seeing that the space as a service evolution is still very early stage and not very sort of mature, meaning that it's difficult to project where this will end up, especially if you're working, you know, five to seven or five to eight year fund horizon. So I think they, they're seeing this as, as, a, as a risky. So I want to I, I want to talk about that for a moment, and and I think that is the general consensus in the conversations that I have in the industry is that people look at space as a service as risky because there's no guaranteed income in a long term lease. Um, but then if we look to existing operations like like our company Newflex, like um, you know some of the established companies around the world that are producing decent returns for for those comp for those operations those businesses um there's there is a, a track record that can be looked at and assessed um based on the, the the comp set based on the brand based on the markets so why do you think as an industry we're not to the account when we're looking at risk versus just looking on the fact that it's not guaranteed income 
Yeah, I, I just think that the, the model of, of, or the value chain, I would say, as of space as a service is still moving. I think, I, I think as an industry, we haven't found a successful model that works for space as a service fully. And I don't think that property owners still have sort of landed in what their role should be in this. Some try to build their brand of their own, trying to be their own operators. Some are going to third parties like the ones you mentioned and, in, and have them help them. But I think it's still early stage. So that's why I think it's difficult to sort of project and, and make estimations. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, well, I have to ask, um, considering <laughs> your, your large portfolio and um, at, at NewSec um, and the drive and demand, you are, as an investment profile, you're looking at it very carefully. But as an operating business in NewSec, are, are, you, are you bringing in space as a service across your portfolio? Are you actively looking at how to do that? Yeah, for sure. But I mean, so what we need to do, and I think what a lot of property owners are starting to realize is that you have to know your customer. I mean, in other industries, this has been, you know, a, a standard for quite some years. But in real estate, we haven't really cared about the tenants. I mean, as long as they pay their rent, we don't really care. And now we have to, as, a, as an asset owner, be able to to answer, so, okay, so why should you as a company have an office in this building? Why, why should we, this help your business objectives? And in what way can we help and support your objectives? And I think that shift is only starting. And that's why I also think that some are quite hesitant to put these on third parties and, and, and outsourcing everything to operators, because that, that will also make you lose your relationship to the tenant, to the end customer. So I think a lot of them are asking, should we you know, have this 100% owned or controlled at least so that we can know our customer to develop the business? So um, I think, so yes, for, to, to answer your question, yes, this is something that we are actively looking at on all markets in all segments, for sure. I think it's a valid point. Um... The customer needs to be put at the center of the universe, and we talked about that in the um, episode with Trilogy Real Estate here in London. And I think you're absolutely right. And it, historically, it was okay just to lease out twenty, thirty thousand square feet to a space as a service operator. They take care of their own customers as long as the money's coming in, because the only customer you have to worry about is is the investor. But you know, as that shifting, just as much as the issues around SPVs and, and leases with spaces of service operators is is a is a risk profile, but losing you know knowing your customer is also an issue. And I think that those who can go and and spin up a new business and uh, internally and and dedicate themselves fully to delivering spaces of service, more power to them. I think they should. And those who who don't, who can't, I think aligning themselves with the right partnership with an operator makes sense versus leasing it that's just my opinion of course i have to say that <laughs> yeah um, but no but i think you, you i i agree with you and i i think that i think you can do both you could do either focus purely on the asset and return and don't care about your tenants and that's one type of of you know business model and and one type of return characteristics or you want to move along the value chain and and expand your business 
which will have different types of characteristics and different types of people involved and, and investments required in brands and stuff like that. So I think both options are still open, but I think you will need to make a choice as an asset owner within the next five years, at least. Well, when they make that choice, how, how do you see, and I appreciate this wasn't one of our questions, but you, you've got me thinking here. Um, how, how do you see the risk profile, the investor profile shaking up with the asset owner who decides to embark on setting up a new space as a service business themselves to help manage that property that they own? Is that a different capital stack? Yeah, or, or yeah. yeah. Uh, I think this, you know, I, I think so, yes. I think they can be owned by the same entity, but I think they should be separate. This is just my personal opinion. I think they should be separate businesses because I think they are so, so, so vastly different. And I think pointing to sort of what happened with WeWork, I think, you know, using venture capital to fund leases, I think it's a, it's a poor use of funds, mm. at least venture funds. And on the same, with the same analogy, using money to low risk money to deployed to assets, using that money to develop a service brand would not either be the best way forward. So I think, yeah, you should really separate those two uh, businesses. Well, it's good advice. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your insights, Daniel. I realize we've covered a lot at a high level and there's lots of details underneath there. Um, but uh, you guys, uh, or NewSec, has a real estate podcast, right? In one of our countries. Oh, actually, actually, we have it in Finland and in Norway. Two different separate podcasts, but yeah, <laughs> we have podcasts. So is it in the is it is it all in in, in either uh, Swedish or Finnish then? Um, I think the yeah. So it's in local languages. So the Finnish is in Finnish. The Norwegian is in Norwegian. Uh, the Swedish one has been at least as far as my knowledge has been in in Swedish as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to suggest uh, that would be a good place to learn more about um, <laughs> strong strategy and successes, but only if only if you. Um, uh, can speak the language or have a very good audio translator. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I okay. think it would be easier just to give us a call and, and have a chat. That's fine. Yeah, well, absolutely. I got a couple quick fire questions for you. The, everybody knows what this is. You've listened to the podcast. You know how this goes. So I'm just going to fire yeah. them off if that's okay. Yeah. So who in our industry inspires you? One of the my inspirations has been over the last few years, I think Dor Polig has been really insightful in explaining to the industry this fundamental shift in a more academic and research-based approach. I think we've seen the same message along in articles and podcasts for, for quite some time, but I think it's he's done a packaging this into a, a book format and into a podcast format. And I, I, I really appreciate that from a how can we drive change in the industry perspective then of course there are so many you know impressive entrepreneurs and founders of startups and and you know successful pro property businesses that you could name but i think from a, a, a driving change perspective i think he's made quite an impression over the last i would say year or so Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Jor, um, as everyone knows, and I'm going to plug him again for uh, episode 10 of season one. Make sure you listen to that one because it's all about how to finance the future of real estate. Um, 
but I just finished his um, Future Proof Office course, the Real Academy, and um, it's a, it was a solid five weeks. And one of the things that you mentioned today about the value chain, we went into detail on in that course, and I won't spoil it, but I do highly recommend it uh, to anyone listening. Now, I have to ask, what podcasts or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest industry trends? I, I don't almost listen to any industry podcast, to be honest. <laughs> what so podcast I, do you listen to? I, I, I like like the Andreessen Horowitz A16C podcast, like the technology podcasts. I think, because I mean, with the analogy of space as a service, uh, the way I think that we you can best know how this industry will pay out is to focus on, on the topics that impact businesses and people that resides in buildings. So, I mean, I think that the, the, the general tech trends is what really drives um, the change in real estate. So if you understand the big mega shifts in, in, in the world, like urbanization, remote working, gig economy and stuff like that, that you can really fit that together to see how in, in the, our industry will be impacted. So that's how I think at least. It's uh, interesting because it sounds like I feel like I'm talking to my co-founder. <laughs> he's all he's also Swedish, by the way, um, but uh, <laughs> he, he has the same exact mindset. And um, I have to say he's influenced me a lot over the years. But uh, you're absolutely right. You ha have to look at the way the world's going to understand how this is going to affect our industry. OK, well, getting off of work stuff, um, where is your favorite holiday destination? My favorite holiday destination would actually be I'm quite boring actually. I I, I like being in my 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 home time town in Gothenburg, uh the west side of Sweden. So I I as long as I can be out on the ocean on the on the, the countryside on the west coast, I'm I'm happy. So so for me it would be out on, on a boat in the ocean, you know, right between Sweden and Denmark. Then I'm happy as happy can be. Well, there you go. And Gothenburg's a great city. I was there a couple of years ago myself. Yeah, go there when it's not raining. Then it's windy. <laughs> <laughs> we had some good. It was windy, but we had some some good sun. That we were yeah. there. But Daniel, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, make sure you go follow Daniel on Twitter. He's at Dan D A N J O V I K on Twitter. His, uh, there's a link in the show notes below, as well as a link to his LinkedIn. So connect with him there. Um, thank you all for listening. And until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a Podcast Company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at PodcastSyndicator.com or Brett at PodcastSyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.